Welcome back, everyone. I'm Dr. James Ahrens, the ADHD author and veterinarian. Today, we're riding the Amtrak rails from Davis, California to Seattle, Washington, the starting point of my soul-searching bicycle journey along Pacific Coast Highway. I'm not sure if this was a time of reflection or escape, probably both. Fresh off the rejection I received from Sandy, still hoping to rekindle my relationship with Martha, I booked a train ticket, looking forward to a two-week-long bike trip along Pacific Coast Highway from Seattle to San Francisco. A blonde acquaintance asked to come along. I was hesitant because this was to be a time to reflect and grow, but relented. Another bad decision I would soon regret. So, me and my new little sister boarded the northbound Amtrak. I'm riding the blue train over the miles yet to come. A ghost in a hurry to fade. I'm taking it one way to nowhere. Afraid you might be there, might find me inside this blue Watching the long faces Riding this rundown track And the lost places From a dream that never brings them back And the sad truth is Nothing but a cold heart fact I'm riding the blue train
Chapter 18 Bicycling Trips Toward the end of the summer, I decided to go on a bike trip from Seattle to San Francisco. A bicycle route was developed to celebrate America's bicentennial that followed Highway 1 from Canada to Mexico. I read about it in my Sunset Magazine perusals and ordered an official bike route guidebook with exact directions for the entire trip. I already had bike experience, having biked from Davis to San Francisco and down Highway 1 to Morro Bay the summer I moved to Davis. Plus, Martha and I did a few weekends of bike camping afterward. Now I plan on taking the Amtrak up to Seattle, Washington, to follow the Pacific Highway south till I reach San Francisco. I was still living at the Flophouse, sleeping on the sofa, and jogging daily with Donald. It was a big trip. Everyone at dinner was talking about it. One blonde lady in her early twenties was intrigued and wanted to come along. I wasn't in the mood for company. I told her I needed to be alone on this trip. I had to sort things out and think about my failed relationships. I would not be a perfect companion. She was not deterred and even offered to stitch together the brakes on my panniers. I had a second bike. It was the bike Martha used, and it was set up for bike trips, so I did have a way for two people to go on the journey. I relented. Okay, we can go together. We boarded the northbound Amtrak train right in Davis, and barely talked to each other throughout the next 18 hours. She became a different person in that period, first indifferent, aloof, then pouty. She ran through such a gamut of emotions over this long trip, I was already done with her before we pulled into Seattle. I think I disappointed her because I was not talkative, but I warned her I needed alone time. Was she expecting me to befriend her, become her big brother suddenly, become her lover? Thinking back, we could have had the best time if I only had pulled my head out of my ass. But nope, I was way too lost in reliving and recapturing phantom relationships. We bought coach tickets, which meant we had to sleep in our upright, airline-style chairs. However, we were on the train, and there were many other places to go. The dining room, the lounge car, where one could sit and watch the landscape from bubble windows, and the downstairs of the lounge car. To my recollection, this woman never sat with me, and was always flitting about the train. And still, I sat and ignored her, too wounded to see the opportunity in front of me. When the train stopped in Seattle, we disembarked pulled our bikes from their cardboard shipping boxes, and found our way to the hotel. Walking our bikes right through the lobby, we checked in and loaded them into the elevator and up to the fourth floor. Leaving the bikes in the room, we returned to the ground floor for fast food. This part of Seattle was dark and a bit foreboding. The woman stayed close to me, we ate quickly, and hurried back to the hotel. There was one bed in our room which we shared. I felt it was kind of weird. We'd been together for 48 hours by now had hardly talked to one another, and yet we were sharing the same bed. However, other things in life are as strange as well, I thought, and I fell asleep on my side of the bed. The next morning, we got our gear together and biked to the ferry terminal. Four ships disembarked from this terminal in Seattle. We boarded the ferry to Bremerton. Seattle was cold and damp and windy, especially traveling on boat. Once we disembarked, we checked our gear and started southwest to intercept Highway 101. We needed to bike just over 50 miles to get to the coast where the 101 intersected. I started on my way with my new little sister behind me. I focused on my pedaling. I was trying a new technique called ankling. It's a way to increase the distance I could go on each rotation by leveraging my feet. Hardcore bicyclists like me use foot cages, a place where the toe is jammed into the metal framework 
to keep it from slipping off the pedal. With my toe secure, I could manipulate my ankle up and down during the pedaling, pulling up on the pedal during the upstroke, as well as pushing down on the downstroke. This allowed me to cover more ground with each pedal rotation. Occasionally, I looked back to see where my little sister was. She did not keep up, and this irritated me. Evidently, my going ahead of her annoyed her as well. Why don't you slow down a bit, she asked. I'm trying to go at a steady pace, I told her. If you slowed down, we could talk, she said. It's too hard to talk when traffic is zooming by and when the wind is at my head, I informed her, thinking we had plenty of time to talk on the train or in the hotel room or on the ferry if that's what she wanted. And here she was trying to have a leisurely conversation as we were beginning our odyssey. I told her I would try to slow down, but this promise didn't last for more than half an hour. Soon I was ahead of her again. When we reached Highway 101, the woman blew up at me. What is wrong with you? Why can't we make this trip together? We never talked about making a warm and fuzzy trip together, I retorted, reminding her. I initiated this journey with just me. I had this trip in my mind all about me. I told you this trip was one I needed to take by myself. You were the one who ignored what I was saying. We discussed the problem more during lunch. Then little sis told me, just go on without me. I can't do that, I replied. There are a lot of other bicyclists here on the 101, she told me, and I'll find someone who wants to be a friend. Go on your way. I'll be fine. I got on my bike and started south on Highway 101. I felt sorry we parted on harsh terms, but looked forward to the peace and solitude I originally planned. I biked about another 30 miles south until dusk fell. I dragged my bike about 200 feet off the road and bedded down among a thicket of blackberries. I was content. This was what I had planned for myself. The next morning I continued south, and by lunchtime I was on the Columbia River. It started to rain and I put my poncho on, determined to go on. Why stop in the rain and be huddled in a tent, I thought to myself. The bridge over the Columbia River is almost four miles long, but I could not appreciate the magnificence of the crossing because of the weather. I kept my head down so the driving rain wouldn't fall on my face. Continuing south below Astoria, Oregon, I headed west, leaving the cities behind. The rain cleared, and my biking became enjoyable again. Most of the route through Oregon ran close to the coastline. There were some places, though, where I had to bike inland and climb the densely forested mountains. I was entering lumber territory. Lumber trucks barreled past me. These fellows did not give a hoot about a bicyclist. Many times I was forced to ride my bike within four inches of the edge of the road. Sometimes these roads dropped off a hundred feet below me. The trucks gave me no leeway. But luck was with me, and I never did lose the edge of the road. After a couple more days, I was at Gold Beach, 30 miles from the California border. I stopped and spent the night. The next morning, I felt intense pain in the Achilles tendon on my right foot. I couldn't walk on that foot, much less cycle. I was devastated. Here I was on my bike trip, and I couldn't bike anymore. Years later, I learned the practice of ankling was discouraged because it caused tendonitis of the Achilles tendon, precisely what happened to me. The constant flexion and extension of the foot at the ankle causes the Achilles tendon to become inflamed, and this inflammation creates intense pain whenever the foot is raised or lowered. I packed my sleeping bag and tent and hobbled out of the camp to Highway 1, walking my bike instead of riding it, a terrible feeling for a bicyclist. I thought I could get a ride if I hitchhiked to San Francisco, but my heart sank when I walked across the highway. A line of people was forming along the ocean side of the road, some in groups, most alone. 
I counted 18, 19, 20, 24 people on the edge of the road, thumbing for a ride in the same direction I was trying to go. This was going to be a nightmare. I was thinking to myself as I laid my bike onto the guardrail and added to the other 24 thumbs in the air. I was the only cyclist, which meant I would have to ask someone to carry my bike as well as myself. I can't remember how long I sat for that ride. Finally, one fellow with a small pickup truck drove by the group. He put his brake lights on, backed up, pointed, and waved me to his truck. He asked me why I wasn't biking. I told him about my tendonitis. He helped me get my bike into his pickup, arranging a place for me to lie down in the bed as well. His cab was full, with his new wife and son, whom he just picked up from his ex-wife. He told me he was also a bicyclist, and he would take me to San Francisco. He was on his way back to L.A. At the first stop, I called Martha and Davis, and asked her if she could meet me at Sarah's house in San Francisco later tonight. She told me she would. Throughout the trip, I continued to rethink the relationship with her sending a letter every afternoon after spending most of each day composing a new one. That was what my trip was meant to be. Soul-searching. We drove into San Francisco after 1 a.m. I was dropped off and went upstairs to Sarah's apartment. Martha laid out a sleeping spot for herself on the floor of the small apartment. I cleaned up, got my sleeping bag out, and plopped down next to her. I moved closer to her and tried to put my arm around her. Stop it. I don't want this, was Martha's immediate reply. I finally gave up. Somewhere a light came on in my extremely dim head. I finally got it. It was time for me to let the balloon float away. On our way to Davis the next day, I told Martha I sent her some letters, one for every day of the trip. I told her just to throw them away when they appeared. She agreed. End of chapter. Yeah. 
Thank you, Brian, for narrating Chapter 18 in Fear of Failure, my autobiography. In Mary, your songs quicken my focus, warm my heart, and bring a smile to my face. And thank you, folks, for listening. You can follow the story on my blog, jeadvm.com. Once on the blog's front page, go to the menu, pick my books, and click on Fear of Failure. The entire autobiography can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book, or an ebook, as well as an 11 disc audiobook set, or can be downloaded from the audiobook site ACX. More details are on my website, jeadvm.com. Tune in next week to follow more tales of the soon to be ADHD veterinarian.